So I'll read this out, express his thanks. Can you suggest the possible approach, somatic or mental, which might specifically help with knee-jerk, instinctual, testosterone-driven, pre-thought, lashing out in anger, (laughs) either verbally or physically, which are seen to be hardwired programmed to default to when threatened or annoyed, I have a massive flood of self-righteous indignation. So when these occur, I try to flood my mind with a traffic light, a red traffic light, saying stop, stop, to try to rein myself in and bring some compassion, equanimity and restraint. It doesn't always work. Um, do Am I conditioned into such violence or do I have free will? And this uh, knee-jerk, testosterone-driven lambasting can be directed internally into myself, mentally destroying myself or physically self-harming, can further morphy painful mental rumination into drawn-out chronic self-loathing, despair and extreme malaise. Hmm... Well, I think these uh, hard wiring is the, is the term. I think we will probably all experience at some time or another. Maybe even appropriate, if, you know, jumped on by a tiger or something. A bit of lashing out might be appropriate. Uh, I don't think it's much good. Um, <laughs> but uh, when it gets hardwired, it's compulsive and in, in, impulsive, instinctual, so it becomes a default mechanism, mechanical. So with such phenomena, obviously you can't rationalise them. The stop sign seems like a reasonable, you know, handbrake on it. Um but I suggest it's also examining, you know, threat is a signal that we're all wired up to. It's a lifesaver. Uh, what is being threatened? Yeah. What is being threatened? Mm. That's a question for inquiry, for deep, deep attention. What is being threatened? Probably not one's physical life, but I imagine... Things that get threatened are a sense of belonging, a sense of uh, self-worth, a sense of um, dignity, respect, um, an ability to do things. Um, you, You name it, you look at it, triggering around those. And certainly these things like value, worth, belonging, self-respect are important. But uh, it seems their foundation isn't that secure. Otherwise they would not be threatened. So for example, I'm not saying this is your case, but say my, my if I'm saying, you know, my 
position as da 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 da, da whatever I am, teacher, Ajahn, abbot, and I take that as something I really take a foundation on, then for sure it's going to be threatened <laughs> because it's not, it's just a convention. So I can feel somebody's not respecting my position, my authority, my role, my value as a good monk. Then I can get bristly and so forth. Uh, then I'm vulnerable because I've taken a foundation on something that's not a foundation. Therefore, I'm open to threat. Mm. Now, if I've taken my found, trying to establish my foothold, my foundation on sense of I'm grounded, I have my space. That's mine. It's a given, you say. It's something I don't have to fight for. I can't lose it. I don't have to hold it. I, don't, I can't lose it. I don't have to fight for it. It's not can't get it taken away from me. Uh, so this, in a way, is the kind of long-term, deep strategy is to really establish one's foundation and security in a place that the world can't knock, can't move you from because it's not of this world sense of space or groundedness is not dependent on being in New York or Singapore or a manager or being witty, charming it's not dependent upon that so you can lose all that it doesn't really matter Um, so that's one thing we try to do just come back to you know, very important to reset yeah, so that we do find that, that that foundation which is secure and remember it when the wind blows, when the hurricane comes because so often when we experience a threat which is so often the reason why we lash out it's essentially a defence strategy you know, I'm feeling threatened, I'm feeling pushed, I'm feeling injured, I'm feeling attacked, therefore I lash back. Um, It's not as if I go around seeking to beat people up, that doesn't seem to be your issue. Uh, It's not you're aggressive, but you're a hyper, you've got a hyper defensive strategy, which is this, you know, jump up and fight back. And for sure, you know, I don't know if it's more male than female, and females would do it, um, certainly. But it's certainly more um, polished <laughs> in males what it has been because we were the soldiers. You know, we were the ones who were groomed to, to uh, uh, accentuate that trait, testosterone trait. Mm. Yeah, and... Uh, so you end up killing people for what? An ideology. So, you know, re-establishing our values, then also realising, well, it, you know, this is so hardwired that to remove the wiring, <laughs> you have to do quite a lot of, I would suggest, doing quite a lot of rehearsals. So you meditate, just imagine the kind of thing that winds you up. Right, you sit there and you imagine this person coming in and pointing their finger at you and saying da 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 da, and you you want to get up and put their lights out, you know. Just feel that rising, and then you, but actually there's nobody there. You're just imagining it, so you push the button in imaginative time, 
you see yourself rising up, you're not going to do anybody any harm. And then, okay, let's go. Where am I? Ground. Okay. Being able to come out of it once you, you know, in this imaginary state, you touch the psychological button, if you don't rise it, you open your eyes and over here. Pause. When you're breathing, let the energy discharge. Return. Now, many of us have this um, sabotage program. It's pretty normal. Call it inner critic, inner tyrant. Beat yourself up. Attack, complain about yourself, criticize yourself. Not as good as you should. You're not what you ought to, and so forth. And this this program, um, and this can be irritating or really deadly. You know, deadly. So. Um, this is where the me, the method, or the atmosphere we dwell in is sympathetic, which means um, you practice a lot, more steadily, quality of metta. When it's ratcheted towards acceptance, this is not ebullient, you know, loving for everybody else. This is just. I can maintain where I am without going into negativity, non-aversion. You establish it at that place, yeah? And so it's very fundamentally, you know, and as I was saying, sitting safely, space around me, nobody's bothering me, nothing's coming at me. Now is the time to, to not just let the space be a stark void, but like a warm space, yeah? I'm in my space, so it's not... It's not abstract space, if you see what I mean. Abstract space means void, nothing happening. My space means it's certain intimate. It's mine, it's warm. I'm, I'm in my space. Yeah. I mean, these are just words, but you see what I'm trying to point to? Um, and, you know, really get this soft stuff, which is where all the impact comes in, you know, face, chest, belly, throat, to open up and receive that sense of being in a warm presence. This is just really helping to set the matrix of birth. Now, I'm not talking about birth as a historical one-off. I'm talking about birth as a pretty much constant quality. <laughs> We're always coming into becoming something. We're always coming into psychological birth, right? Today, I woke up. Oh, here I am, you know, here again, you know, I've, a, I've moved from the sleep realm into this realm, I'm born into this. Now I'm doing this retreat, I'm born into this, a few hours time I'll be born into something else, you could say, you know, the, the you know, the, the sense realm, the circumstances change, shift around, and I kind of adapt, and I become something dependent on who I'm with, so I'm born. And we want to make that birth not just circumstantial, that is, you know, it's Monday, it's Tuesday, I'm in the office, I'm with her or him, therefore I'm this, but that's when you're taking your birth sign from circumstance. That's pretty 
confusing. Like, who who are you? Yeah, it's not constant, and it's not stable, and it's generally not about warm acceptance. It's about performance, and when you do performance, once you get into performance mentality, everybody's a failure. The bar always rises. Once you get into performance, you know, then infinity is the goal. The bar always rises as you move along. This is no place to be born. This is a rat race. This is the race. Instead, you want to be born into something that's not about circumstance, but it's about I rise into a place of space, mind of space, heart of space, that's mine, intimate, warm. I'm here. That's enough. This acts as the establishing that as a setting, since with every deed and act, we become something. So it's important that what we become is infused and from this basis. Otherwise, we'd be trying to be becoming something that we should, could be, in we'll have a future result, right? That is always unstable and stressful because the result isn't here yet. And when it arrives, we can think of something better. You don't want to be born into the world of cause and effect. You want to be born into the world of Dhamma, you know, which is not about cause and effect. This very much helps to... to so the impulses, therefore, one is prepared, you see, because what happens is when sense contact happens... If you're in your own space, you say, oh, that's that. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe, maybe not. Okay, I can move towards that if I wish, or I could just hang back a bit, or I could see the potentials, because where I am is stable and comfortable. Now, if it's not, if it's always dependent upon meeting, you know, what's coming at you in a kind of like respond to it, then you're always going to be caught off guard. You're never going to succeed essentially and the results are the two results when you blame others or you blame yourself it's crazy thing to do really because it's extremely uncomfortable and it doesn't doesn't cure anything you know i mean one can spend repeated periods of time through one's life blaming people who passed away years ago or haven't passed away, you can blame them till the cows come home. It doesn't make any difference to them. <laughs> it doesn't change things. It just makes your mind sour. Right? No, I know it's not as if a regional process. And blaming yourself is no way to develop, is it? You can't blame yourself into happiness. You can't blame yourself into purity. You can't use a stick right to bring around you know peace contentment so that that stick has got to drop and instead of the blaming we recognize oh you know conditions what do you expect things never work in a way and this is what dukkha is about the sign of dukkha it's a comfort to recognize that nobody ever gets it right 
on that level. Therefore, there's no failure. When there's no failure, there's no success, no need to succeed, then you're freed. Okay. Now, these are the kind of deep resets that we cultivate in meditation practice. Now, you know, if you're looking at stopgap measures, yeah, that, that red traffic light, that's not bad. Um, coming into your feet, standing, just coming into your feet, really coming into the fullness of the body. If you like, get a, um, a pebble, put it in your pocket. When you think things are getting different, just grab that pebble and start rubbing it in your hand. The pebble's not going to fight you. <laughs> so anything that takes you out of that particular scenario and you're actually aware of something else will tend to diminish the flood of energy rushing towards that particular topic. So if we're holding a, a rock, or perhaps a sponge might be better in your hand, a spongy ball in your hand, in your pocket or something, then you're getting that... And kill somebody and just, just hold the sponge and even strangle the sponge. <laughs> yeah, so the energy of that intense arousal, you're using it and you're establishing it on something, you know, spongy ball. That's another measure. Yeah, uh, movement's always good. Generally, when we come into compulsion, any compulsive tendency, we, we kind of freeze, we lock. We go into a, a compulsiveness, all got the sign of locking. So you lock, you get angry, you lock into that threaten, threatening state. When you're fascinated, you lock into that glued state. Uh, when you're looking for escape, you lock into that state. So just being able to move, roll your shoulders, soften your jaw, you know, walk up and down a bit, squeeze your hands. These are kind of things you, you can you can do. Um, and always returning through the base of, you know, may I be well, and I have not killed the person. Yeah, uh -huh. very good. So you chalk those up, um, and you start to, you know, deepen that that resource of self-respect. What well, precepts are so helpful? Mm. Um, this is a whole. You could spend weeks tackling this particular phenomenon you're certainly not alone with that one maybe the intensity but the sense of um, what that contains but I will pass on if you if that's okay I hope that's of some use and I'll because I'd like to deal with other things uh, okay another person this one's about ground space and rhythm how can i think about them in a non-conceptual way how do you think non-conceptually <laughs> non-conceptual is called is 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 deep attention it starts with a concept uh, as a handle and then you penetrate where what's what's that about and uh well, that's how you do it so you've got a concept ground not, well, what's that mean the whole ground means firm, it means given, it means I can stand on it, comfortable, accepts my weight, it carries my weight. That's a nice idea. I'm taking the meaning of that. Ah, really take it in. Ah, take it in heart, take it in your body. And 
there it is. All the time in the world. Being here. Now you may, of course, find this through standing on your feet. There's a physical aspect to it. But, uh, you know, I can back it up. But it's actually not specifically only related to physical posture. It is a somatic state where the nervous system goes to rest. Rest, not slump, but stabilised. And it's an emotional place where we feel no pressure, no hurry. And uh, it's given. And so your process of deep attention, get the idea, get a feeling for what that means. This is the chewing it over. What flavours come out of that? What would it be like? And as soon as you can do that, you will feel it. Because it is an essential reference point. I'm not making it up. Because Just because people don't necessarily talk about it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's, it's definitely there. Presence, dignity, self-worth, um, firmness, resolution. These are all based upon ground. Ah, uh, space, absence of pressure, no compulsion. Uh, be as wide as I like, as tall as I like. Look at it physically. This body's not constricted. Or the room. It's also about time. Space is about time. When I have space, I'm not in a hurry. When I have space, I can handle, make room. So develop space you make room for that which you'd normally shut out. When you cultivate space, you mean there's room here for unpleasant feeling. Because there has to be, since it happens. If we can't handle that, then we're always going to be agitated. But feeling, mental feeling, unpleasant, yeah, okay. It doesn't mean non-activity. It means first you receive it spaciously. So instead of that, oh no, 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 blame, 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 cues, blame, fed up, annoyed, disappointed, let me down, just, okay, unpleasant feeling. Don't come over that. What's what's the response? Could be anything from compassion, equanimity, hmm, firmness, but it's it's a non-compulsive state. Yeah, and uh, you know, response uh, <laughs> ideally, response should be, always be voluntary, otherwise, it's not a response, it's a compulsion, an obligation, and a reaction. So, space gives us the opportunity to be voluntary. Where is space? Well, immediately, it's around your body, you can move one way or another way, it's up to you. You could sit still, you could lie down. You could stretch your arms out. That's what I mean by voluntary. Space allows all that. Physically. You explore that when you're walking, standing, sitting. And then the more difficult thing, of course, is to internalise that space around what arises in the thinking mind. And perhaps more difficult, space around what arises in the emotions, which means we have a lot of sense of 
perhaps accepting non-resistance to a range of emotional psychological states, insecurity, agitation, whining, uh, <laughs> feeling fed up, uh, you know, okay, this, so this is really, this is where we meditate, isn't it, that's that, but not that in a kind of cold way, but just, because mm, the space, my space, is always warm, it's not blank. Rhythm, rhythm is life, everything pulses from the sun pulses, the stars pulse, my blood pulses, uh, life pulses, spring seasons change from this to that, day and night, moon rises, everything's cyclical, phasing, rhythmic. Uh, where did we lose that? Why is that strange? Because we tend to live in automatic nine o'clock switch on ten o'clock switch off suddenly pop it's day and then you no know, it's night push a switch light comes on it's day <laughs> no no rhythm at all it's just instant uh, and when you link up to that then we link up to these systems that are non-rhythmic um, you want to get into rhythm uh, and uh, you know, one can say, say quite a lot about that, but uh, essentially to get into rhythm you come into your body and then when you move, everything moves. When you sit, everything sits. You breathe in, everything is breathing in. Breathing out, everything is breathing out. You're in a flow. And uh, when you're in a flow there's no snagging. Because the, the actual speed of the flow changes, but when you essentially you're not snagging, if it's fast, then you're, it's fast. If it's slow, it's slow. Yeah, it's meandering, it's meandering. But the rhythm which can change, but always there's this sense of there's a definitely an arising and a discharging. There's day and there's night. Try to feel what that happens in your body and the world around you. And of course, most intimately in your breathing. That's the fundamental sign of being sentient. The fundamental rhythm sign is the breathing. So we have another question. I hope that's helpful for you. I'll read it out. She's aware of a stroppy toddler who is wounded and want revenge. <laughs> I think we just touched into that one this is this is your version of it <laughs> i'm familiar with non-self teachings but this intense energy is difficult to deal with i'm wondering if some situations the meditation can't help or if the specific practices can help to allow the heart space to be sustained so we have the tantrum uh, the rattle out the pram throwing the rattle out the pram <laughs> which doesn't stop at the age of three. <laughs> Revenge. Well, what good would that do you? The sweeter than my mother's milk is the blood of my enemy. <laughs> it's not self because it's something that many people experience. 
That's why it's not personal, but it's intimate. Um, it's one of those one of those confused programs, and uh, it's associated with a toddler because it, it's associated with a sense of being pitted against a larger force. As you, when you're a toddler, you, know, you sense that what you're meeting is bigger or implacable, or is not going to listen to you, or is bigger than you, or you know, it's the toddler feeling they're up against something bigger authority we get a lot of tantrums against authority um, and so on wherever that appears and well hmm, who's that who do you what are you taking revenge against i'm not asking you to tell me but just think of that who is that and away you you something in you put them there you know something in you made them um bigger than you or maybe they claim they were, but you, do you have to believe it? Would you throw a tantrum against the butterfly for landing on your nose? Probably not. Hmm? Would you throw a tantrum against the moon shining through your window? Probably not. Hmm? But uh, human beings who we feel exert unreasonable influence over us, that we can't reason with because they don't listen, or we don't feel we have the right way of saying it, then we just get into the stroppy, angry toddler. The inner tyrant, the big fellow, creates little me. And little me screams and hollers against the tyrant. But if you stop being little me, there's no tyrant. If you dismiss the tyrant, there's no little me. Both of these are created in your own heart. Now, this meditation, I don't know what it's doing so many years, I don't mean so many things. I call it mind cultivation, cultivating, cleaning the heart. So these are definitely areas we need to check in with. You know, you can be, and it's uh, pretty universal. People resent their mothers because they weren't exactly what they wanted. It's pretty unfair, isn't it? Um, you know, she gave her more attention than she gave me. <sighs> What's the point of that? And again, you know, mind of sympathy, everything. We live in a mistaking world. It's dukkha. Uh, we're going to keep whining and railing about it, or we're going to get bigger than that. Compassion equanimity, accepting the unpleasant feeling, then we don't have to get into these ignominious um, psychologies and reactions. Uh, so this is a process of deep attention. Maybe this doesn't seem like meditation to you, but I think meditation is often much too um, restricted as just focusing on particular objects and getting calm. Mind cultivation is really overhauling these uh, programs and qualities of heart which are pretty much uh, many of them extremely uh, confused and just by avoiding them you don't deal with them and quite to a degree it can be the meditation some meditation is avoidance strategy just go to that steady space that quiet space i don't have to deal with that messy stuff 
Well, not now you don't, <laughs> but you will do. <laughs> it doesn't go away. How to disengage from deep patterns of neck negativity? <laughs> well, I think we, as you as you suggest, the questioner, that is something I have been responding to. Um, anything else I can say on that? Uh, well, to disengage means first of well, it means many things really, but it means. Uh, just step back off the topic, you don't have to fix it, you don't have to change it, you don't have to be other than it, you don't have to make it go away. That's disengagement. It's not just, there it is, but it's also an emotional disengagement. We call that dispassion. So disengagement is being able to, that's that, I'm not in that. Dispassion means it doesn't matter whether it's there or not, really. You know, that's, a, that's a further step, um, whereby one's not emotionally pressurised into getting rid of it or changing it, or understanding it, or this and this, that. So all this starves these programs from their energy. You know, the example is, I think, a little piece of mythology, you know, the, it's it, this Buddha or saint or some of the other, see, gets off his chair and the demon comes and sits on his chair. So... Uh, and, uh, Buddha or saint comes back and he says he's going to throw him off the chair. No, he says, oh, welcome. Welcome to my seat, demon. You're very pleased to see you there. Please welcome, make yourself at home. Demon gradually gets smaller and smaller and smaller. He says, please, make yourself comfortable sitting in my house. Can I give you some lemonade? Please, relax. Demon gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Eventually disappears. <laughs> you know, it's one of our... <laughs> Master in California, he was starting a monastery, Chinese master, in, in some area whereby they, all the local people, you know, for kind of obviously, I don't know, they weren't Buddhist. These demon worshippers coming to our country, we don't want these foreign demon worshippers. So they come to the gates of the monastery with placards out, foreigners get out, demon worshippers out, Satanists, and so they have placards demonstrating. So the master goes down to the monastery gate, opens it up and says, oh, please, you must be hot and out there in the sun. Why don't you come in and, and lie down? We can give you some lemonade and take a break. You know, come, you can protest inside the monastery rather than outside it. Please come in and protest and, you know, protest inside. Please come in. That kind of dismantled the protest. So, you know, getting negative about negativity isn't going to help. You've got to cut the circuit where you can. Cut the circuit where you can. Yeah, so self-acceptance, recognizing you, there are negative patterns that people, pretty obvious, you know. So it was already had three mentions of it already, just in this one session. So these are just fundamental currents or pieces of hard wiring. Now you just got to keep dripping in to that. The qualities of acceptance. Uh, turning your attention to skillful things, acceptance, presence. It's rather like, you know, you can have a a 40,000 volt cable. You just put some water in that, it doesn't work anymore. But uh, you putting more electricity into it, try and get rid of it, isn't going to help. 
Next question. Today's stimulation is designed to prevent us from experiencing boredom and reducing our tolerance for boredom. I am intrigued whether you ever experience boredom in your simple, disciplined, monastic life. What have you learned about it? I have experienced boredom um, and it's lack of stimulation um, and it's essentially negativity. Uh, it means, um, as you said, it's the craving for stimulation. And I think over time what occurs is your, your sensitivity increases to the point when, you know, you're not bored because just breathing it out is pretty stimulating. <laughs> yeah. So once you you've got to wean yourself off the hard stuff, <laughs> you know, the heavy stimulation, if you can gradually limit that, then your receptivity increases. So you're getting a, you're getting some energy because what is stimulation? It's about energy moving. If energy can't move, we get stagnant. And we don't we don't like that at all. So that's what escapism is about. Or one one reason of escapism. You know, let me out of here where I can get some fruit, some juice, some action. You know, this is driving me nuts. So, so itchy. Um, um, well, yeah. Uh, so when it's, it's occurring, just get up, move around, take a stay present. Okay. It's chant. You can just have light stimulation. Lights that recollect uh, people you're fond of, grateful for light stimulation. So you gradually wean off that until you know that um, dullness, which is what boredom is based upon. The mind is it's been lose it's got numbed, so it needs heavy stimulation. When the mind's not numbed, it doesn't need it. That's why it's good to to reduce stimulation, you know, and to go through that that kind of energy flop that occurs when you're no longer being picked up by things. And just okay, this is unpleasant, but when you're back, open up, just bear with it, and your system will gradually reset to need less input. Another question. Advisable to focus on samatha until it's thoroughly achieved and move on to vipassana. Come and advise sitting for three more hours a day if one can. Yeah, if that's your interest, three hours a day is very good. Um, what is thoroughly achieved? Mm. I mean, it get, you can keep, it can get pretty refined. Um, yeah. And uh, the extremes of it are right down to the level of neither perception or non-perception, which is, I don't think anybody's, <laughs> I mean, has ever got to that point. So I think you say good enough, good enough, which, uh, you know, you could call that access or you can call it first jhana. Or, so it's good enough, whereby you can maintain stability it's good enough to receive impact without it being flooded. It's good enough you can receive thoughts and impressions without getting agitated or panicked by them. It's good enough to be able to accommodate painful feeling without wincing and contracting. Uh, that's good enough. Uh, 
And so the Buddha always said, you, you, you pair the two, samatha and vipassana work as a team, one or the other. And so vipassana is just looking into. It's not really a technique, it's an attitude. Uh, it can become a technique, but essentially it's an attitude of, hmm, what's that about? So, so we, you know, only so many sakara can do that. So let's look at the, what's that really about. How valid is that? What's that based upon? Hmm. Now, if your mind hasn't got any stability, you've got nowhere to to stand to make ask those questions. You ask those questions, it's like hmm, that's just that's just an energy in my face. That's just the memory. So it's this condition. It's there. I don't have and just that. And then beginning to develop this detachment, dispassion, so you're no longer energized, activated, then it ceases. This is vipassana. Detachment or disengagement, dispassion, ceasing, relinquishment. That's the that's the trajectory of insight as you develop these deeper qualities of, of uh, dispassion towards conditions. In fact, you don't even expect conditions to be satisfactory. That's what we mean by relinquishment. It's no longer disappointment because conditions are conditions. So it's an expression of thanks. And thank you very much for your appreciation. It does help to know I'm hitting some or touching into some useful points. I think I only have time for about one more. Uh, actually, there's two more. I might better get them both. Mm. Question asks, while being with the heart, I went deep and experienced a strong sense of pain in the heart and felt fear that I might die. I don't think I am dying. It was very strong. Fear comes, if I stay with it, it might be too much for the heart. Is it better to take a rest in those moments? I think so. Yeah, if you're entering into territory whereby you can't manage it, it's good to just back off a tad, get back to it later. If it's something that has some depth to it, you know, you can deal with it another time. Um, when we're entering this touchy, vulnerable territory, you've got to strategize a little bit. When's the time to pause? You stay where you are and pause, receive that. When's the time just to not panic, but that's enough for now. Let's feel what's happening in my back, my chest, my feet, the space around me. When's the time when I might be able to reach into a place where I feel a sense of warmth or strength and connect that quality to the place where I feel frightened and nervous. Now these are both potentially present. One can feel some aspects you go into you feel flutter and agitation and despond. You don't want to you don't want to go into those but you acknowledge that. Okay, so, that, so don't go into that when that's arising. Can you find a place where you feel steady, stable, and then you bring the two together? slowly so your steadiness begins to comfort alleviate relieve the nervy sense 
and this is normal. You may not think you're dying, but in fact we all are. So, uh, uh, and we're all living as well. We're all born every moment and dying every moment. Every day a bit of us dies. Every day a little bit of us is born. Every day another thing dies. Yeah. So, what do you say? You know, this is the condition. Get used to it. Thank you for teaching. It's everything impermanent, or does practice make it impermanent? Practice reveals the changeability of conditions. Is there such a thing as a stable condition, a permanent condition? Nope. There's repeated conditions. <laughs> they seem permanent, like my sense of guilt or rage, but it's just repeated. <laughs> if you notice it, it's just, here it is. You're whirling along, it's kind of doesn't, you can't have a permanent thought. It has to rush from one thought to the next, right? So even if you're in a sense of blaming people, you generally got to get not just one thought, but then you do this and you do that, and I can't see why you do that. So it's got to keep moving. So even so the phenomenon might seem permanent, but it's actually made up of micro moments which continually shift to keep the energy going. If it was permanent, we have no energy in it. It's the impermanence that that keeps is kept going by energy rushing through it. If you withdraw energy from it, it starts to fade. First way of withdrawing energy from it is to recognise this is not a permanent state. Can you notice the changes? Already, by doing that, you're not engaging with the topic. When you feel upset, annoyed, vicious, you're not engaging with the topic. You're just saying, this is that energy. Oh, you mean I shouldn't? No, no, you don't have to not have it at this particular moment. You're practising disengaging, you feel the energy it's flooding through my face, it's red, it's hot, it's jumping up and down. Mm -hmm. It's a phenomenon in the universe. Why do I call it me? Everybody has one. It's a phenomenon in the cosmos. In the psychological cosmos, this is one of the creatures that lives there. Dispassion. Yeah. What do I, how, do I, how do I want to be with this? Spacious, grounded. Mm. Mm. You see it's impermanent, also something to not get shocked by or flustered by. And that's where you take the energy out. When it's impermanence begins to reveal itself as it blips, fades out, or pauses. Gradually the pauses get longer and it begins to unravel. So that's the questions for today. Thank you so much for asking questions it's good to know what the topics are uh, what's happening for you so i can take that in and see how i can um, tune what we're doing to meet your your needs and your interests